right and then I'm going to come to the Lord I always say no 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 you need to come to the Lord and he'll get things right God does not ask you to clean yourself he says come to me and then you link up hands with him as he cleans you you cannot you cannot do enough things on your own to warrant your salvation it is given as a gift and all you have to do is come and say please please and no matter how soiled you are God will make you When you truly acknowledge the depths of depravity in your own heart, it can be overwhelming to imagine you could ever be cleansed. Most religions want to teach you how to do that, but only Jesus has the power to do it for you. As Pastor Daniel assures us today, there is no room in your heart that's too dirty for God to wipe clean. Not only does Jesus promise cleansing, but a renewal of the Spirit, a way out of darkness. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, Living on a Prayer. David is acknowledging the full breadth of his sin. He's saying, God, yes, I sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah the Hittite and their families, and I sinned against my own kingdom and all these things, but Lord, really my sin is against you. See, and I think this is the component that most people don't ever realize when we do something wrong and if we're willing to own what we've done wrong, which, as I said already, is really hard for all of us, right? We lie and then we lie more and we lie more and we cover and we cover and we cover. But if we're willing to own it, oftentimes we'll own it with somebody else. We'll say, look, I did this wrong to you. And we neglect the reality that the main person who is grieved and offended by what we do is on the vertical axis. It's God. Because in God's perfections, in God's perfections, our slight variations or extreme variations are totally offensive. Against you, you only have I sinned, he says. David realized that he has placed himself in a precarious position. So he's letting this reality of his mistakes lead him into prayer, and he's acknowledging it in its fullness. But notice what it says. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. See, oftentimes we make mistakes and we want to be like, God's mean. God's mean for being this way. Don't we do that? We're always trying to Push the buck off. It's someone else's fault, not mine. David's like, no, 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 no. I've done this against you, and you're just, and you're blameless. I'm the one who's got the problem, not you, God. And it makes me think of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is why... Letting our sin lead to prayer is so important. Because if we come to God and we open up our hearts and we say, God, I'm going to tell you what you know already about me. I'm going to own what is mine. It says that God is faithful and he's just to forgive us. See, you know why that is? I'm going to tell you something. This is important. 
God already knows that you sin. God knows what we're made of. That's the nature of the message of Jesus is that God is saying, look, I know that you do this. This is why I sent my son. Because you do this. And I do this. And that's, that's the nature of the gospel. When we confess, we're agreeing with God that God knows what we're doing. We're saying, God, you know. You see. So we're letting our sin lead to prayer. We had a guy here this morning, first service, a young man. His name is David. Man, he, man, the opportunity to receive Christ. He was like, boom, came on down. Pastor Daniel Keels talked to him, and Pastor Daniel Keels came up to me after, trembling, excited. That was the real deal. That young man just got really saved this morning. Really saved. But we want you to pray for people. Why? We pray because we all struggle with sin. Everybody does. And the reason, the only difference between those of you here who've put your faith and trust in Jesus and those of you, you, people who you know who don't follow Jesus, the only difference is is that you're willing to say, I acknowledge that I've sinned and I'm receiving God's forgiveness by believing in Jesus. You are exactly the same. We are the same as everybody. The only difference is, is we're saying, God, I trust you. I trust that the way to be changed is by Jesus, by believing in him and following him. That's the only difference. And we want to see people's lives transformed. We want to see people come from running from God and let God save them. That's what we want. So I want to encourage you to pray. I don't understand all the reasons that prayer work. I just know that it does. So we begin by letting sin lead to prayer. Let's keep going. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. and In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. We need to let reality lead to cleansing. We need to let reality lead to cleansing. Notice what he says in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. See, in David confessing to the Lord, he wants to give a complete accounting. Not only is he owning his most recent things, but he's saying, I've always been this way. And it's interesting, if you read all the writings of all the major religions in the world, every religion agrees that humanity has a problem. That's why religion exists. Every psychology book, people have a problem. It's about what that is. And what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches is that humanity doesn't just commit sins. Humanity's problem is that we have a sin nature, a sin being. Our default is sin. That's what the Bible teaches. They call it depravity. Some people call it original sin. But the Bible's teaching on humanity is that although we were created in God's image, our default is rebellion against God. And that's why you get it. That's why we have what we have in this world, because our default is to live in rebellion against God. And so David's saying, look, not only did I do some really horrible things, but I've always been like this. Now, those of you who are parents... 
you understand this. Because no parent has sat down with their child and said, listen, when you do something that you're not supposed to do and you get caught, lie. Really lie. I mean, go all out and cry. Any parent do that? I hope not. That's bad parenting. We don't want to do it that way. But it's amazing. You have these children, you never teach them, but they know how to do that. They just, it just comes natural. I remember when Obadiah was small, you know, there was a potted plant. We made first time parent mistake. We had the potted plant at little kid level. You know, so Obadiah is in the family room and all of a sudden you walk in and the potted plant and the dirt all over the floor. And you're like, Obadiah, did you do that? Nope. <laughs> There's nobody there. <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. You know, and then as they get older, they get more intricate with it because then they start like, oh, no, I was here. You weren't here. You don't know what happened. Let me tell you what happened. Now, do you think I sat down and like, listen, this is how to self-protect by lying, buddy. You don't teach kids that. They just know how to do that. Why? Because we're created with this flaw that plays itself out. And everybody does. Everybody does. And that's why he says, I was created. It's like, I've been like this my whole life. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, I want to go on a slight tangent. It may not be so slight. Now, there's been a lot of people in church who read that and say that the act of lovemaking between a man and a woman is sinful. That's how they interpret that verse, that in sin my mother conceived. That's not what it means. That's not what it means at all. And what's interesting is if you look at those outside the church, they have a whole other view of sexuality. What he's saying is he's saying, my mother was a sinner and so was my father and so am I. My parents have the same issue that I have that I'm passing down to my kids. But I wanted to bring that up because what's unfortunate is that some Christians will say, oh, that's really, really bad. And it totally misses God's design in human sexuality. God created us to be sexual beings. That wasn't like a a curse of the fall. God created us for a holy sexuality. But what's interesting is you look on the other side, outside the church, you have a whole other skewed view of sexuality. Where what it is, is in effect, it's saying things like, well, it's just the purely physical. It's all physical. And maybe for the ladies, it's slightly emotional. But it's purely physical. You know, I was reading an article just recently. They were talking about how monogamy which means only committing yourself to one person and being with them for life is unnatural because humans are the only animals that are monogamous. Thus the case for not being monogamous. And I thought to myself, you know, when you teach people that they're animals, they're going to act like it. We are not animals. We were created in the image and likeness of God. It's not, I don't want to act like a dog. I mean, that just makes no sense. When I was growing up, you called someone a dog. That was a derogatory term. But see, brothers and sisters, we need to restore to the people of God a holy and sacred sexuality that has been given to us by God. When you realize that the coming together of a man and a woman in the joys of the marital bed, that is the physical manifestation of the union between Jesus and his church. 
There's a spiritual component to our sexuality that we don't even think about half the time. The world is definitely not telling us, and we're just buying into it. And we need to learn that we are of much more value. And you know what's amazing? Pastor Bill was telling me that the baby boomer generation, they have just off the charts, off the charts STD ratios right now. Where they're, so it's not like this is a kid problem. No, this is a human problem. It's a human problem. And I believe that God wants us to have a sacred view of our sexuality. We're not just animals. We don't just do it because, oh, yeah, you're cute and it's fun. Great. That's not what it's there for. It's there as an act of worship to glorify God who created us and created us with the ability to enjoy one another. But we, we can't lower the bar. We should raise the bar. And so for those of you, listen, I was going to say for those of you who are young, all of us, we need to ask God for a sacred view of sexuality. The way he sees it, the way he sees it as an act of worship. I tell couples all the time, it's kind of creepy, but it's true. I, when they're in premarital, I'm like, look, don't invite Jesus into every part of your life and leave him out of your bedroom. And they look at you like, Pastor Daniel, what are you talking? Listen, that's meant to be an act of worship as well. There's no... Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do what? All to the glory of God. That means that there is a way for a husband and wife in their physical union as a spouse, as two spouses, there's a way for that to glorify God and there's a way for that not to glorify God. And we need to say, God, I want that view of these things. I want that spiritual, vertical reality of that. End of my soapbox. What David is saying in verse 5 and verse 6 is that I've always been this way. My reality is not only that I commit sins, but that I am a sinner by nature. That I miss the mark by nature. And therefore, we let that reality lead to cleansing. Because look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Purge me, wash me, make me. See, David sees himself. He sees himself in his fallenness as soiled. That's what he sees. And he's saying, look, make me whiter than snow. Cleanse me. We need to let the reality of our rebellion not lead us from God, but lead us to him that we may be changed, clean. Listen to Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, it says. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So if you're in here today, and your rebellion has led you away. God wants to clean you. And know what I love about this? God doesn't say, clean yourself up and come to me. God says, just come to me. I'll, I'll clean you up. I don't know how many times as a pastor someone says, you know, I got to get a couple things right, and then I'm going to come to the Lord. I always say, no, no, no. You need to come to the Lord, and he'll get things right. God does not ask you to clean yourself. He says, come to me. And then you link up hands with him as he cleans you. You cannot, you cannot do enough things on your own to warrant your salvation. It is given as a gift. And all you have to do is come and say, please, please. And no matter how soiled you are, God will make you whiter than snow. 
You know how white snow is? It's pretty white, right? Yeah. Don't try and clean yourself up and come to him. Come to him and let him clean you up. I know there's some people in this room today watching online. Someone gave you the DVD, whatever. We do not want you to leave here trying to clean yourself up. Every religion in the world is about that. Clean yourself up. Clean yourself up. Do this. Do that. The Bible says, no, listen, you can't do it. God's going to do it for you. And you know why that is? Because Jesus has got the skills that can pay those bills. That's why. That's an 80s term, isn't it? Only Jesus has got the cleansing skills given the depth of our soiledness. Only he does. He's the only one. And it's futile. And that's why religion is so popular. Because everyone realizes that they're soiled and everybody wants to be cleaned up. So everyone has his own little cockamamie way to do it. And Jesus says, listen, there's only one way to do it. There's only one way. And that is by putting your faith and trust in me. Not me plus X, me plus Y, me plus this book or that book. No, just the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross and his resurrection from the dead. That is where it happens. That's where the action is at. And we do good works not to get saved, but because we're saved. And we do all these things like serve the Lord and be part of community and come to church. We do all those things because we are saved, not to get saved. And that's why it's amazing. You get to get these churches that say, if you don't come here, you're not really a Christian. Excuse me? Really? I mean, that's the way it rolls? That if you're part of our little crew, then you're in. If you're not, you're out. Listen, if you're with Jesus, you are in, brother, sister. You're in. It's not me and a membership to a certain church country club. It's not, it doesn't roll that way. It's you got to be with Jesus. He's done that work. But we need to, we need to let this reality of who we are, we need to let it cleanse us, drive us to that place where we get clean. And that cleansing comes from Jesus. But not only that, look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, do not cast me away from your presence. and Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. I like this because these verses teach us that we need to let inward renewal lead outward. We need to let inward renewal lead us outward. All, verses 10, 11, and 12 all speak of God doing an inward work. It's as if David is calling on the creator to create in him again. Notice what it says. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's saying, God, you created me. I need you to do a work of recreation in my life. I have been stained. Create in me a clean heart. My spirit has not been hardy, not steadfast. So renew that in me. And brothers and sisters, this is where we get this idea of being born again that Jesus spoke about. He's saying, listen, the God who created you wants to create you once again. You were born and you need to be born again because you were born once physically. And Jesus is saying, look, I want to do a new work in you. That is why this is there. So you may be in here today, you've been created by God. God wants to do a work of recreation in you. 
He wants to take all the garbage you've been involved in and he wants to clean you out and me out. He wants to take all the ways that we've fallen short and he wants to renew in us a steadfast spirit. God wants to recreate all of us. In verse 11, David is concerned. Look at what he says. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Being cast away from God's presence speaks to us of Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Remember, Cain killed his brother Abel, and God cast him out. He's saying, look, I killed Uriah. Don't cast me from your presence, God. I don't want to end up like Cain, fleeing. And not only that, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This makes us think of 1 Samuel 16. David's predecessor as the king of Israel was a man named Saul. And when Saul transgressed against God, God took his Holy Spirit from him. Now, the question always becomes then, well, what does that mean for us today? I mean, if I sin, is God going to take his Holy Spirit from me? Now, think about this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. It was a visitation. And then the Holy Spirit would remove himself. But in the New Testament, through our faith in Jesus, it's not a visitation. The Holy Spirit has taken up a habitation. He dwells within us. The Old Testament was visitation. The New Testament, it's habitation. And how does that happen? It happens through faith in Jesus. When we, you and I, put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our lives, dwells within us. He who started a good work will be faithful to complete it in you. The Holy Spirit doesn't bail out when the going gets tough. He doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit stays and changes us from the inside out. Rather than having an external an external witness, now we have an internal witness. But this happens through faith. If you're in here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is on the outside knocking at the door wanting to get in. And you need to simply say, okay. That's, that's the gospel. Us simply saying, okay, come on in. I know what's awesome about the Holy Spirit. He's a great interior decorator. He is. He's very good. I remember I told you about before I got married and before I got saved, I lived with a bunch of guys and it was a total nasty bachelor pad. It was, I mean, we had, we had a, a poster of, you know, Salvador Dali, the, the great artist. And I remember like we had a cat and that cat like ripped half that poster down. So we just kept it up, like half of a Salvador Dali poster. You know, every once in a while, we had friends who were girls who felt bad for us. So they'd bring over like a plant or like a nice little framed picture. And I'd be like, well, that thing's going to die in here. And they're like, we'll come over and water it, you know? See, that's a perfect example of what God does in our hearts because we trash our hearts. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and does a work, changes our hearts. But you need to let him in. You need to say, okay, come on in. I give you this access to my life. I give you this access to my life. The Holy Spirit, he's meant to indwell you, not to be working at you on the outside, but to be inside, flowing in and out of your life. In verse 12, it says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Jesus is real. Our hearts break for those being turned away and rejected all over the world because of where they've come from. Like many of you, I have to face my fears about terrorism and balance them with the command Jesus gave me to love, 
Love no matter what. You might be asking yourself, what can I do? How can I help? Well, I urge you first to reach out to us here at Crossroads Community Church. We've been ministering to refugees for many years and we could use your help. Second, and it's gonna sound pretty simple, you need to pray. Pray for those who are suffering all over the world. Pray for our refugees trying to escape terror in their own countries and pray for President Donald Trump and the rest of the leadership of our country. And we wanna help you to remember to pray for all of these things. I wear a leather bracelet that says real on it. Whenever I look at this bracelet, it reminds me that Jesus is real in my life and I'm utterly and completely blessed. I also remember to pray for those who are fleeing tyranny. I'm gonna turn this over to Josh so that you can learn more about supporting refugees and help us here at Jesus Is Real Radio. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Truly, the plight of the refugees is urgent. Throughout the month of March, we want to make available to you the same leather bracelet that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. It simply says real on it. When you wear this bracelet, you'll be reminded of God's love in your life and those that are less fortunate. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you the real bracelet as a thank you. Plus, we will use a portion of these funds in the current effort here at Crossroads Community Church to minister to refugees. To receive your own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. Well, thanks for joining us today. Please remember to pray for the poor, oppressed, and less fortunate. Until next time, may God bless. Trail, we need, we need.